Hello and welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Leadership Tools and Strategies. We're thrilled to have you in and joining us on this wonderful Tuesday in mid-February. If you're in the uh, Northeast, Midwest, or many points in between, you might be covered with snow. And uh, hopefully you're enjoying the time. If you're here in the uh, the Southeast, you may be Mardi Grawing and uh, that is okay as well. So we uh, appreciate you ha having you in. And I had feedback going on. So we are joined today by Jamie Nodder. Jamie is one of the co-authors of When Millennials Take Over and a book that is over my shoulder as well, Humanize. Uh, Jamie's co-author was going to join us and uh, the beauty of uh, the, the weather and some other incidents have taken place today. So Jamie's running solo and we're thrilled to have him in. Before we get too far into the program today, I want to encourage you to take a look. We will be launching on March 2nd our next issue of Nonprofit Performance Magazine, and Jamie and Maddie are contributors in that magazine. It'll launch on March the 2nd, and if you want to get a copy of that, all you need to do is go to centervisionleadership.org and click on the Magazine tab. It'll be a great opportunity the focus of our March issue is all on non millennials in the nonprofit world. So it's a great opportunity to dig deep into this important subject, to think about how it impacts your organization as you prepare the future. We want to remind you as well, every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, we continue our conversation. Hashtag nonprofit chat. It's a chance to go deeper and to think about the subject from the Tuesdays nonprofit exchange so hashtag nonprofit chat join us we'll be talking a little bit more about when millennials take over on Thursday 9 p.m. if you haven't yet checked out the website go to centervisionleadership.org register and join the website whether as a free member or at one of our premium levels of membership it's a great opportunity to dig deeper and to learn more about being in a community for community builders again I am thrilled to be joined by Jamie Notter uh, Jamie is one of the co-founders of Culture That Works based out of the Washington DC area. He is a writer, he's a speaker, he is a, a genius, uh, he's a, a beautiful uh, bald man. I, I don't know. Jamie, I'll let you take over the rest of the synonyms for yourself. <laughs> actually having the, uh, the camera on reminds me of actually how bald I am, so, uh, but yeah. No, I'm... I would, I would actually say I am a, a writer and speaker and consultant first. Those are the three things that I love to do the most, um, and that's what I spend my time doing. So. That's awesome. And, and Jamie, I, I'm going to say here for, for folks that are, are tuning in and joining us, uh, whether they're joining us live or they're going to be joining us later uh, via the, the replay or through the podcast, um, if you've not come across Jamie's work and, and the work of Jamie and Maddie, Take, take time and just immerse yourself in their work because the, the work from these two, it's cutting edge, it, uh, it's challenging, it stirs the pot, and uh, hopefully it encourages you to open your mind and think differently. And In my own journey, I, I first came across uh, Maddie's work uh, in, in regard to the future of work, and so I was really intrigued by some of the things that were happening here. Uh, got in contact with her, and then through her, uh, Jamie was able to join the conversation, and uh, we're, we're just thrilled to have you in. Um, we're examining this idea of when millennials take over. It's the 
the title of your your second book together, you and Maddie. It, it's it's one following up on Humanize, which is over my shoulder here. Where where did the book come from, Jamie? Where, where's the idea there? Well, it, it is uh, the book is a follow on uh, from Humanize. Um, when we wrote Humanize, it, it obviously was about how social media is changing, not just marketing and communications, but really changing the way we work. It's changing leadership and management. And that book examines sort of these, these human elements and what it would mean if we, if we led and managed organizations based on those ideas rather than traditional management, which is based on machine thinking and mechanical logic and that kind of thing. And that book really presented it as this is a big change that's happening, that, that, that social media is going to change, it's going to create a change that's permanent, that management is really going to change forever because of this. And to some extent that's happened. But what we've realized in the book, that book's been out for, for more than three years now, we realized that the social media revolution wasn't enough. Okay, it wasn't enough to push management over the edge. And frankly, when we went back and did some more research on the history of management, there have been challenges to the mechanical view of management like forever, ever since it was invented 100 years ago. And each time, management wins, right? And we keep doing things the way we've done them. Um, and to some extent, that's happened, I think, with social media. You know, social business became like all the rage for a while, and, and, and particularly when Humanize was coming out, and everyone's like, oh, we need to create social businesses. And now they sort of declared victory and said that they do have social businesses, um, but that really means they just started using social technology. They didn't embrace the, the mindsets. And we titled this book When Millennials Take Over because what we realized is the millennial generation is that missing link, right? It is that third front in the perfect storm that's going to push us over the edge, right? So millennials actually aren't going to take over. Sorry, millennials, but um, ah! yeah, we we wouldn't let you anyway. We'd just be so uh, extra <laughs> so annoyed and cynical. We'd we'd you know take away the power when we could. But the um, the millennial generation is is the largest generation in the history of the United States. I think most people know that, but I, I'm not. Maybe not everyone. It is bigger than the baby boomers. They are going to be a larger force simply in numbers than the baby boom generation. And the oldest uh, millennials are now in their early 30s, and they're hitting management. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so they're going to start hitting management in big numbers. They're going to become the largest segment of the workforce in the next few years all at the same time that these social media changes continue to push forward and at the same time that traditional management continues to annoy us more and more and more so like it is a few years ago it would be blasphemy to say that you should break down hierarchy entirely but today Zappos does that with holacracy they just throw hierarchy away they can do that because traditional management has been in decline for so long so these three things coming together the millennial generation and then what Part of what we wrote about in Humanize, which is social media changing management and management in decline, those three things are going to happen in the next sort of between now and maybe three, four, six, seven years from now, mm -hmm. and it's going to revolutionize things. Things are going to change really, really quickly. So we were intentionally a little scary with our title, like when millennials take over, because we want to wake people up that you don't have to do what the millennials say, which is frankly a fear, I think, of Xers and boomers, that we have to listen to millennials. Uh, it's not about being like millennials. It's about 
paying attention to what they pay attention to because that's going to align with these other forces that are happening. And so management is going to look radically different really quickly and the organizations that can be nimble and stay ahead of that curve, they're the ones that are going to, are going to take us for the next sort of generation of management thinking. Um, and so that's, that's where this came from. It's like it's not just how do I implement the ideas and humanize, it's what's actually happening right now that we need to stay ahead of. And that's what we talk about in the book. Jamie, that, it, it gets into a really unique position, particularly when we're talking about the social benefit or the nonprofit world, because in many ways in the nonprofit world, we've been so significantly invested in old schemas or institutions. We, we've been, gosh, we've, we've been doing the same thing the same way for a large part, and obviously we've got some new ideas and new things floating around, but, but there has been pretty much a, a, a significant standard way of doing things for a long time. Wh what are you guys seeing when it comes to this and when it affects the nonprofit world? Well, um... I mean, I've been—I don't know—I've been—I've been on record uh, a little bit in the last few years, in kind of getting in the face of nonprofits a little. I mean, like I—I don't—I don't shy away from that. I love nonprofits. I've actually—I've uh, only worked in nonprofits or run my own business. I mean, that—that are the two things I've done my entire career. So I've been around the nonprofit world. Um, but you know, I'm a big fan of of pointing out that nonprofit is a tax status, not a business model, right? I mean, like, we are running organizations. And to me, and that's where my passion is. That's what you're doing. I like whether you actually pay taxes, and whether you have an ownership system where the owner gets money. Like, that's irrelevant to me. What we need are powerful organizations, and. And I see a lot of nonprofits. I don't blame. It's not just nonprofits. I see a lot of for-profits that are not powerful. But I see a lot of nonprofits that are not powerful because they almost are too in love with their cause that they don't want to look at the organization, right? And like, well, it's our cause. We can't really do it differently because this is how our founder did it. Um, no, you can do it however you want, and you'd better start making choices about how you're going to lead if you want to be successful. And so like I'm thrilled actually that when we did the case study research for the book, we found a nonprofit to put in there because I wanted that. Yeah. Um, and, and particularly for the digital chapter, right? We have a whole chapter on, on the digital mindset. We've got a small nonprofit, 20 staff. I mean that's bigger than a lot of nonprofits I know, but I mean that's still a small organization. And they embrace the digital mindset and but I just I still think a piece of that is you're going to have to let go of some things like like this organization they're an association um, six of their 22 staff people are full time on technology okay that is a higher percentage than most nonprofits devote to that like if you look at their whole budget that's just people right that's not what they spend on software and databases and other things. That's that's like a lot, a high percentage. We need that kind of investment in the nonprofit world and technology if we're going to stay ahead. And I think a lot of you know the, it's, it's, this is generalizing, but there are a lot of nonprofits that'll say, "Oh, but that takes away from the mission." And oh, I can't imagine spending two hundred thousand dollars on a website. Website doesn't work, then you're not going to be able to succeed in the digital age. So if it takes $200,000, then figure out how to spend it. You know, I mean, like, we need that kind of approach um, more. And it's not, if that requires us to abandon some of the ways we've done it as nonprofits, then more power to us. But we better sort of get on this bandwagon.
Now, Jamie, you, you've kind of been hinting at uh, some of the framework here that you guys use because you really talk about four key factors that are essential for the organization of the future. And the first one is digital. And so if you would just touch a little bit more on, on what you guys have seen, what the book starts to lay out for that digital idea, that digital factor in the organization. Yeah, so, and, and, and a little bit about the research that got us here to, to, to sort of make the point that, that when we went from the humanized book, we wanted to look at, at sort of where the organizations that were on the leading edge were going. Mm. And so we started looking specifically for organizations that had, to use a word from our title, ridiculously strong cultures. Okay, we wanted the organizations that were miles ahead of everyone else. And we started looking for those, finding them, and studying them. Then we did research with the millennial generation to see what their approach was to leadership and management. Again, now that they've been in the workforce for a few years, they had a lot to say about that. What was interesting is there was an overlap between these organizations that were so strong and what the millennials were thinking, and it was the four principle four capacities that we laid out in the book and it was digital uh, clear fluid and fast so the digital piece we actually put that one first because we expected that people would expect that first right because yeah. it's social media and it's Millennials and they're all on their screens and you know of course it's digital one of the key pieces that we discovered in that research is that and even though I mentioned how much they were in this company was investing in technology the technology use is a fairly small piece of this Okay, it's more about embracing the mindset. And the digital mindset, here's a couple of things you need to pay attention to. One is, in the digital mindset, it is you make things easier on the user and harder on the organization. Okay, when you design software today, if you design software, it has to work on every device, in every context, in every size, in every platform. That's hard work for the software designer, right? But that's just the norm. That's what you do now. Right, And so in organizations, we need that mindset. We need to make sure our customers can access whatever they need, our stakeholders, our donors, whatever your context is. They need to be accessing the information they need in their terms. And if that means we have to spend extra time creating more ways for them to do that, then that's what we do. And even internally, and this is my passion around employee engagement, mm -hmm. you want employee engagement, then design your organization around the employee's needs. Okay, this, this nonprofit that we studied, that's what they did. They literally rebuilt their office space and made it so that every employee could work however they wanted to. Some of them work from home a lot. Some work on the roof. They've got Wi-Fi up there. Some work on their tread desks. They've got a yoga room. And it's not this tech startup, you know, foosball table thing. It's they paid attention to what their employees need to be productive. So uh, like another key example, this is the digital mindset. It has nothing to do with technology. The CEO's desk is out in the office with everyone else's in a pod. He has no privacy or he has no more privacy than anyone else. People are like, oh, well, he's got complicated things to negotiate. I talk to the guy. He's like, if I'm negotiating a deal with the journal publisher, I don't care if people hear. That's not a big deal. And if I need privacy, there's a quiet room I can go in and do it. Sure. Right. I can take my laptop and my voice over IP and I can go make the call in there. It's not a problem. So, But when he was in the space with everyone else, it made him accessible. Mm -hmm. Okay, So people could ask him questions. In other words, the employees can get their work done better. If that's harder on the senior management, 
then so be it. But that's what leadership is today. That's what the digital mindset is, right? And that enables you to meet sort of more of the needs, uh, and that actually supports growth and innovation, which is another part of the digital mindset. So it's. Uh, I think the technology piece is is important. I think if you're if you're not investing in technology, you're sort of sealing your fate. Um, but that's uh, that's like the the ante, right? That gets you in the game. Mm -hmm. To really be a digital organization um, requires you to to shift your mindset and really put your employees first and put your customers first and design around them. It's interesting because even in the example of the association, there you talk about the leadership being out amongst the people, and, and I think that really uh, leads in very well to that that second piece of the framework, which is clear. That idea of transparency is, is beginning to really, hopefully, change the game and the landscape. What, what did that look like as you guys were starting to lay it out? Well, and that one, you know, because we wrote about transparency in, um, in Human Eyes, um, we call it clear. I mean, we, we sort of went around and around with some of these words. Uh, another one we, we talked about um, that I've written about in, in some, some blog posts that are coming up, uh, it's just the power of making things visible. Mm. It's the difference between visible and invisible. And it's amazing to me, again, we only started noticing this when we, when we dug into the research. It's amazing to me how much in traditional management we presume we can keep invisible. Yeah. Right? Like you can, I mean, you are, like, if there's one thing about traditional management that, that is like the, the, the bedrock, it is that you control information. Right, you you do not not control all information. You do not let anyone say anything they want about your brand. You do not give your secret formulas away. You do not share your strategic objectives because you don't want like this is just what you do. Um, and what's amazing to me is the organizations that that sort of magically go well. Why don't we just make everything visible? Actually, achieve more than when they did when they control the information. Um, and there's a great, you have to look it up, there's a great, I, I wrote about it in the book, we wrote about it in the book, but there's a, a TED Talk by General Stanley McChrystal um, who talks about how he got spies to share information, right? He's working with defense intelligence agencies on the ground in Iraq in the early 2000s, like these guys are doing top secret spy stuff. Um, they do not share information with each other, like that's not what they do. He, he declassified intelligence as soon as he found it. And he got a lot of flack for that. But when he did that, his whole point is information is only valuable if it's in the hands of someone who can do something about it. And in this day and age, in the day uh, that we have with this kind of speed, you don't know ahead of time who's going to be able to take action on that information. Mm -hmm. And so the answer is make it visible. So we looked at a company um, that's our case study. It's a software company also puts all their people in one room. So they're all working together. Um, they make things so visible, they have two software coders working on every one computer. Huh. Okay? So one person is typing the code and the other one is, is reading it and giving them feedback real time. That's making it visible. Yeah. You don't let me go do my work in private and then decide when I share it with you and say, here's my finished product. You're seeing me type it. You're seeing my thought process and you're interacting with me on that. And then they go another step and they make their entire project management system visible. And it's funny because their software designers, you think it would all be IT and, and, you know, software and web and cloud. No, they literally put pieces of paper on the wall to show what people are working on. They use colored dots and yarn. When the day is done, they move the yarn down to below Monday. And they can see, everyone in the room can instantly see where everyone else is on their work. Yeah, Jim, so, when I... 
when I read that in in the um, in the book, I, I was I was thrilled because I, I love the concept as you put it forward. It's not about shaming; it, it's about that sense of accountability. But it's about how, how do we as a team move forward? That was a, yeah. a really powerful concept. Well, because to me, the 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 essence of clarity, the essence of making things visible, is about improving decision making. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is a critical piece, and it's one thing that when I, we were writing the book, I sort of got to the point about how do you make this happen in your organization, and my first answer is, well, evaluate your decision making. Take a hard look at how decisions get made in your organization. This is a, this is homework for all of you nonprofits out there. Have you even talked about that ever? Have you examined who makes decisions? How many of these decisions are effective ones, and how would you know if they're effective? Do they have good yield? Like th- we don't even study this internally. We just assume that you make good decisions, and good leaders make good decisions. It, the, your your decision making is enhanced when more is visible. So that example of I can scan the wall, and I'm like, wow, I've got green dots down through Thursday in my book, and it's only Tuesday. I'm ahead. And look, there are some yellow dots over there in that column. What are they working on? Do I have something? I, I don't need a manager to tell me, hey, can you help Bobby? He's a little behind. I can see it. When it's visible, I make smarter decisions. And I and it's it's also actually part of employee engagement because now I feel empowered, right? Like I feel like I can own my job. I can make my own decisions. This is what we say we want to give to people, but we don't give them the infrastructure. We don't make things visible enough for them to do that. Um, and so there's beyond like the first level is just like sharing data. Like, are you even sharing data internally? Do you have a place where people can see? There was one uh, I don't know if, think we mentioned in the book, but one of the technology companies, if more than two people attend a meeting, they're required to take notes and publish them on the shared drive. Everyone, no, any meeting in the organization, I can read what happened. That's sharing information. It's yeah. a lot of information, but you know, if you work there long enough, you'll be skilled to notice who attended that meeting, and you'll go f- read the notes and find out what they talked about. And it, it just it enhances my ability to make decisions on how I use my time, what I pay attention to, what problems I solve, what problems I let lie for a while. With the more information I have, the better those decisions are. So that's sort of the the reward. You know, I, I think it's interesting because again, we get into the question of who controls information anymore, and I think we're starting to see some of what I think are the slowest institutions to adapt, educational uh, universities typically, who are embracing this with MOOCs and uh, other similar types of formats. And I think that there's something that's here uh, that, that people are starting to see we're actually opening things up rather than closing them by sharing this information. Yeah. I mean, I will also add, though, and I, this, I think this came out in, in some later chapters more, but... There are always implications of these ideas that you got to keep in mind as you're going along. So, I'm, you know, if, if I'm saying, look, you need to be more visible, you need to be clearer, you need to be more transparent, share more information. And everyone's like, oh, writing that down, like, oh, good, I need to do that. Well, once you do that, <laughs> you'd better make sure that your people can have good conflict conversations amongst each other, really, because if you can't, because when you share more information, maybe some bad stuff happens, maybe something comes out. Like, you know, maybe it's like maybe I share this piece that I'm working on and you're like, whoa, that is like against our mission. You should not be working on that. And, but I shared it because I made it visible. Now I'm like, I need to be able to have that conversation. Like, okay, here's what I meant by it. Let's work it out. Let's figure it out. And if, if that information gets shared and I get hammered for it, 
and I and then the conversation gets shut down because people got uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Well, there goes your transparency. Yeah. There goes me sharing anything in the future, right? Like so, so it's kind of a package deal. Some of this stuff, you you know, yeah, you want to embrace the transparency, but you're gonna have to do some of these other things along with it and build some of these other capacities that we talk about um, if you really want to 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 make the most of it. So, and I think this is a really important point to make right here because you you, you list digital and clear and fluid and fast, but those things can't operate outside of a culture uh, that works. Hey, look at that. Uh, <laughs> they, they can't operate outside of a, a culture that um, there's transparency, but there's trust and there's safety and, and there's dialogue and you know good leadership. And leadership is a process and relationship, not a person. Um, but you know you, you have to have those kinds of things, and I think that's a really important piece because. A lot of times what we tend to do, and obviously you know this, Jamie, is uh, we try to plug, plug and play. So somebody we hear talking on a stage or we somebody's got a great book and we go, okay, let me just pull this one concept and plug it into my organization without thinking of the ramification of everything else that leads into it. So that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, the and, and I've, I've been talking about this for a while. Um, in my in my speaking around around culture, um, and but we do write about it in the book. Like the, there's a there's a piece in all of this. Well, there's a piece in culture in general, mm -hmm. um, where you need to not only decide what you want your culture to be or what it is or what it should be, but you need to connect your culture with what actually drives the success of your organization, and that's the piece that's missing. In most in most nonprofits and for profits, in my opinion, because they say, "Look, we are a culture of honesty or integrity, or we're a culture of giving back. We're a culture of of empowering the people. Like whatever you just say, it is that's lovely. But unless that drives the success of your enterprise, then you're you're you've got a disconnect. Yeah. And so, like like when we talk about being fluid, um. That one, by the way, originally, uh, actually, almost until the book was done, we called that one flat. Because hmm. uh, it was sort of like decentralization, and we got to flatten the hierarchy. That was sort of in our head. But as we got into the research on it, we said it's not the verticalness of hierarchy that is the problem. It's the rigidity. Mm. Okay? It's that you write up your hierarchy in your org chart, and then that's how it is. Yeah. That's how decisions get made. And you're like, yeah, but... In in this in this circumstance over here, that person who has the decision making authority doesn't even know what he's talking about, and like and it's not because they're not smart. It's just they don't happen to have the right information, yeah. and I don't have a hierarchy that can flex and say, you know what? Instead, over here we're going to let this person make the decision because they really know, and that is so we needed that fluidity, uh, and that's a that's a critical one where you're like, oh, I like this. Let's be more fluid. Like okay, but. How you define what the fluidity is must be based on what drives your success. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like the example in our book, the case study in this case is a, is a healthcare company, um, and they're providing services to people with brain injuries and spinal cord injuries. So they're like rebuilding people's lives. This is like not easy work, right? They realized that what would drive the fluidity in their system is okay, who knows the most about the patient and not just their medical needs, but their hopes, their dreams, and what matters to them as human beings. The people who are closest to that, that's who I want to give the authority to. And so when there's a situation in one of their residential facilities, 
the people who know the, the people in that house, in that building, that unit, whatever it is, those are the ones that get to make the decision. So if the CEO, as has happened, as we talked about in the book, if the CEO is in that meeting, she's not going to say anything. I mean, she might chime in a little bit if, if she has something to say. She's not quiet about it. But she knows the people who know those patients. They're the ones that need to lead that conversation. And she knows that they are more successful as an enterprise when they make decisions like that. So that's what the fluidity is based on. right? But it's not just, oh, well, on Tuesdays, it's the, the, we let the lower levels decide things. right? Or, or no, or it's not even throwing hierarchy and say, everyone decide whatever they want. We're going to empower everybody. That doesn't necessarily work either. Right? They have a hierarchy in this organization. She's the CEO. She's not, they have a senior management team. You can look, at the, you know, they've got it. If it's about strategy, if it's about sort of where the funding sources are and how they relate with, with insurance companies, like she's, she's leading that conversation because she has the information. But they know that. They tie what, what drives their success to how they make their organization fluid. And, you, you know, any nonprofit would have to do the same thing. You can't just copy how they do it. Um, and, and that's where the culture piece comes in because if you haven't done that, if you haven't really figured out what drives your success uh, and how the culture feeds into that, then you'll just be, you know, like you said, picking things at random and trying them. Yeah. Some of them work, some of them don't, but that's how we've been doing it the last uh, 100 years and I'm, I'm tired of that approach. Absolutely. And, and, and I think these are all really exciting things and I almost think the last one is the one that's a little bit daunting and scary to us, Jamie. I remember um, Peter Vail, and I can't even remember the book, but he wrote, uh, we're kind of in a stage of permanent whitewater right now. Right. Uh, and, and you guys share fast as the, the fourth piece, the fourth component of the uh, successful organization of the future. How do we deal with that? Because we know we know things are moving quickly. We, we know that the, the rate of change is so... Uh, Beyond our comprehension of fifteen years ago, of five years ago, mm -hmm. what do you, what are you guys seeing there? Well, uh, there's 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 two levels to fast, um, and and one of them one of them is really sort of about the whitewater piece. I mean, I think to some extent every organization needs to be faster, mm -hmm. and they need to master efficiency and productivity. I mean, that's one reason like to use technology. And I think it's traditionally, I don't think it's the case necessarily these days altogether, but with nonprofits, oh, well, we're a tiny nonprofit, so we have to do things slowly. I'm like, well, that excuse is gone. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, one person and skillful use of technology can, can beat that. So you got to handle the basics. you got to be efficient, productive, um, and fast in the sense of getting things up quickly. Uh, and not that everyone's successful at this. I, in the association community, someone told me the other day, like, well, we need a new database. That's uh, a big deal. It's, uh, yeah, it's going to take us 18 months to issue the RFP, and then we're going we're gonna to study it for, you know, 12 months, and then there'll be a 36-month implementation. I'm like, no, you don't have that kind of time. So if you're still operating on that scale, you need to shorten it get better at doing the basics. And I think actually digital, clear, fluid, if you embrace those things, you're going to get some speed. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, like that's, that's one, of the, one of the benefits of that. So those three help. But the real, uh, that's one level of fast. The next level is this, is this level that, that I can see why it scares you. It's sort of hard to comprehend where you just leap ahead faster than, than you thought possible. And what we're seeing as organizations do this, we tell a story in the opening of that chapter 
of a very small company that makes some some retail products and you know they got asked by their national distributor hey can can you tell us about your you know your pipeline what products you have in the pipeline and they scheduled the meeting for 3 days later right and they did not have anything in their pipeline they had been focused only on getting their stuff out they had nothing and they're like and i bet you any nonprofit if 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 a funder came to you and said hey that last program that you just did you know the one where everyone was up for 80 hours a week and then they're now all exhausted and you just got home like i got a meeting with another funder tomorrow tell me what the next step is a nonprofit would say oh my we're like we're exhausted can you give us 2 weeks we'll come up with something we'll we we got to send out our evaluations you know and they got to come back cuz they're paper you know and then we got to add them up no this group said went into full throttle r&d and used the internet they used 3D modeling software they used every tool at their disposal and they came up with pipeline and the guy who saw their presentations like why didn't you share this stuff with me earlier these are great ideas and they're like because they didn't exist 3 days ago now that's leap ahead speed right and that's that's missing in almost every organization and to get that here's the part that's scary you have to give up control mm. period and control i talked about controlling information as as the bedrock control is actually the bedrock of management of machine approach management that, that the more you control the better you will be that succeeded for 100 years and now the opposite is true it's you know we quote mario andretti if everything seems in control you're just not going fast enough okay you 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 have to figure out what is it that i can put my trust in that will enable me to give up the control that opens up that kind of speed that kind of leap ahead speed what do i do that's cuz if i try and control it i'm not going to get leap ahead i might get incremental speed in, in, improvements but i won't get leap ahead so we looked at a bank i love this example too cuz i the, the, the bank is fast this is a heavily regulated industry this is arguably an industry that has caused a lot of the economic problems we're living with today mm -hmm. by making bad decisions, right? And this bank trusts their people to make decisions. They put more control in the hands of local loan committees and even when it has to go up, get bumped up, it gets bumped up to a a regional hub, not a national one. Yeah. And they know each other so well that they know what questions to ask. So they're not just going to turn over control to a local committee because that makes them faster, period. They only turn it over to them because th this is what they realize they could base their trust in because in this system, in their, in their culture, everything is based on building deep, strong, and clear relationships. Okay, so internally, everybody knows each other well, and at the customer le level, they know each other well. This bank does not have a call center, okay, because they demand that the customers call the people at their bank yeah. they talk to someone in their branch and they always will because then the people at their branch really know the customer really well and so it's not just like good customer service although I think they're excellent at that it's they know each other so when that person six months later says hey I, I just started a business and I want to apply for a loan the branch person says well you know what you're gonna need to include this but you also gotta include this piece of information Okay, so they know that. Mm -hmm. so, that th so that when the decision gets made, first of all, all the information is there. The big national bank, 
they would have sent the application off to New York. New York would have sent it back three weeks later saying they didn't include this information, sure. right? But they know this because they know these people. Or they'd say, you know what, you do not, you're not going to pass on this piece over here, so you better emphasize this over here. That relationship they have, that's what they can turn, that's why they can turn over that trust, right? And enable decision making so that they move faster. And they, they, I, and I, I was going to pick up the book, which I don't have yet, um, <laughs> to look up the statistic, but we wrote about it. I think there was like 20 out of their 2,000 loans were overdue when I talked to the guy. Like they do, they do not make bad loans. They make good decisions. They say no all the time, even based on these strong relationships. Mm -hmm. But they say, look, a quick no is better than a long maybe yeah. or a long yes, even a long yes, right? And so they'll say, no, we can't do it, but here's why, and then here's what you, do, you should do next. But in order to get that system to work, they had to invest in this relationship building. So again, this one's going to be unique to your culture and to what drives your success, but you've got to come up with something that you, that is going to enable that trust that says, I'm okay giving up control so that we can get this kind of speed. Um, we call it your your keystone, right? That one thing that's going to drive it. Um, and, and that just requires a deep look at your organization, again, and your culture and what drives success to know which what it's going to be for you um, to, to to really open up that leap ahead speed. I mean, I you know, we listed that one last on purpose. It's the most advanced, mm -hmm. um, and it's not one that I expect to see right away with folks. But um, But I think once you get the other ones down, you'll you'll sort of see the opportunities. Wow. Folks, if, if you're listening, you're watching, uh, I know that just the tip of the iceberg ha has been reached in our discussion with Jamie Nodder, uh, co-author of When Millennials Take Over. We're, we're excited along with you for this ridiculously optimistic uh, work. Uh, there, there's so much here, folks. You've got to take a look at the book. Uh, you, you'll be able to find it in early to mid-March here. Uh, Jamie, just we were talking before we went on air. Uh, they're waiting with the publisher, but it's going to be here within the next month. So make sure you go to Amazon.com, uh, search for When Millennials Take Over. You can pre-order the book right now. You can be ready for when the Kindle edition comes out, fast, fluid, digital, clear. It's all there. It's going to impact your organization if you keep your mind open and you think in that deep dive. Guys, we're just delighted to have Jamie with us. Uh, so thrilled for all that's happening and, and for the challenge point that it becomes to us in the nonprofit world to think in a new and a different way, recognizing kind of that, that center point for what happens when the generations change with the social internet when the millennials rise up. We're seeing all these things come together. They call it the perfect storm. For you, it's the opportunity to get ahead in your nonprofit. Jamie, thanks so much. Folks, if you want to get in touch with Jamie, easiest ways are you can reach them, he and Matty both, at culturethatworks.com. Uh, .net. .net, excuse me, culturethatworks.net. Uh, you can find Jamie at Jamie Notter, N-O-T-T-E-R. On Twitter, you can find Matty Grant at Matty Grant, D-D-I-E, Grant. On Twitter, uh, they're there. They're, they're very active. They're, they're great uh, models. I think in many ways for the exchange of ideas that comes through uh, the social internet. So take a look at what they're doing. Uh, come back and join us Thursday at 9 p.m. for hashtag nonprofit chat. A great opportunity to dig deeper. We'll be talking digital, clear, fluid, fast. We'll be talking millennials. We'll be talking some really challenging stuff. And I know it's hard to do in 140 characters or less, uh, but we're going to 
we're going to move forward with it because we think it's really important. want to encourage you as well, hashtag WMTO on TNE. Uh, Jamie and Maddie have been joining us with this. We've got a Twitter contest that's going to be ongoing to the launch of the book, and we're going to reward some great, wonderful followers here with an opportunity to join Jamie and Maddie uh, for a private hangout. We're going to be giving away two signed copies of when, when Millennials Take Over. We're going to also give away some free copies of the March issue of Nonprofit Performance Magazine, in which they're contributors to, as well as some free uh, premium memberships, three-month memberships, to the Community for Community Builders on CenterVisionLeadership.org. So, so much happening here. Jamie, again, thanks for joining us. I mean, you, you've, uh, you've teed it up real well. We're excited. Thanks for joining us as we go forward. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Have a great day, and, and make sure you continue the discussion with us on Thursday at 9, hashtag nonprofit chat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.